We're going to get into Psalm 22, and we're going to dive into a bit of Matthew's Gospel as well, to really try and understand more of what really happened at the cross. Some of us here are completely new to thinking about Jesus and his death, so I hope this is really helpful. For some of us, we thought about this loads before. And again, my prayer is that this will be really refreshing for us to think about Jesus. So turn to Psalm 22 on page 554. we've not met before, I'm Phil, by the way, one of the pastors of the church, and it's my delight to be able to teach God's word to you. So, Psalm 22, page 554. Let's start with those little words um, at the top of the psalm, which tells us who it's by and who it's for. For the director of music, to the tune of the doe of the morning, a psalm of David. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. 
All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness. Declaring to a people yet unborn. He has done it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we really need your help now by the Spirit to understand these words, to know what they mean, to know what they meant mean about Jesus, the King. But we don't just want to understand. We, we, we know that you have spoken to us to change our lives. When you speak, you want to transform us. So please, I pray for every single one of us now that you would change how we view Christ, deepen our love and satisfaction in him. Amen. When um, Vicky and I were dating, Vicky's my wife now, um, Vicky was a medical student at university, that's where we met, at university, and the time came for Vicky and her training to, to learn how to take blood. Um, and being a boyfriend and being willing to do anything for the love of my life, I agreed to let her take my blood. It was a mistake. <laughs> so there I am, lying in the chair, uh, tourniquet on my arm, confronted with Vicky, holding a needle, and she says something you don't want to hear an amateur doctor student say. I'm going in. <laughs> there are some things you just, you just do not want to hear someone say. Your imagination, yeah, it hurt a little bit. She's better at it now. Now, there's something we hear in the Bible twice, and the first time we hear it, it's something you don't want to hear said. But then the second time we hear it, it's something you definitely do want to hear. The first time we hear it, it's kind of devastating, but then the second time, it's life-changing. And the, the, the phrase we're going to focus on, the thing we hear twice in the Bible is in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, so it's something King David says here. And it's something that Jesus says when he's hanging on the cross, dying. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if we really get into Psalm 22 and really understand why it's something you definitely don't want to hear there, it'll really deepen our understanding when we get to Jesus to see why it's really something you do want to hear him say, okay? So that's what we're going to do. First up then, something you definitely don't want to hear God's king say. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. So the person speaking is David. He is God's king over the Old Testament people of God, Israel. And he, he is in, he's in the pits, utter darkness for him. He, he has the embers of faith. He still calls God my God. So there's the, he's clinging on there, but, but God is kind of not there. He says he's forsaken. What does that mean, forsaking? Well, forsaking is it's a relationship word, isn't it? It's a presence word. When someone you know 
and love and trust and who you know loves you, when that person walks away, their back turned on you, where they won't look at you, that's forsaking. Their presence is gone. Their, their love is gone. And God has forsaken, left King David. So let's keep going through the psalm and, and explore more of what David says. I find this psalm helpful to um, understand by thinking about David breathing. Okay, exhaling out, it cries of anguish, and then breathing in truth to try and help him. He kind of flits between the two, out and in. So first, he, verse 1 to 2, he, he exiles, he cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he's crying out in pain and confusion. Then verse 3, he, he breathes in again, tries to breathe, breathe in the truth about the goodness of God. God, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the, the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted. They cried out to you and were saved. You see him breathing in truth about God. You, you are enthroned. He thinks, thinks to the past when people did trust in God and, and he delivered them. But then another wave of pain comes over him and, and he cries out again, breathes out. Verse 6, I'm a worm and not a man. He, he exhales and cries out when he looks around at people mocking him and insulting him. And they mock him for trusting God. Verse 8. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. You know, he's God's king. Come on, you're God's king. Let your God save you. Oh, that's right. He's nowhere to be seen. David breathes in again, gasping for breath, gasping for hope in verse 9. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you've been my God. So he breathes in, remembering that he, God's been faithful to him even when he was a baby. And then comes the next wave of painful reality. And this one lasts for a long time. In verse 12, many bulls surround me. He uses this this animal imagery. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tear their prey. Verse 14, it gets physical. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It's melted within me. My mouth is like a desert dried up my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth you lay me in the dust of death he feels it he's he's attacked people take his clothes for themselves and 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 uh, cast lots to to get them verse 18 divide my clothes among them people look and they stare and they gloat verse 17 he's a he's a spectacle and then you get the last cry in verse 19 it's kind of a, a one last bit of hope. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me. Save me. It's hard to watch, isn't it? What exactly is the situation David's in? We don't actually know. He lived a life of a lot of suffering. But the expression of pain is, is something you don't want to hear from anybody. But let me tell you this. This is especially something you don't want to hear from God's king. You don't want to hear God's king say these things. David was God's king over his people. And in the Bible, God and his king are tight. 
Okay, their relationship is really, really tight. They're close. You don't get a tighter relationship than God and God's king, David. Do you know what God calls his king in Psalm 2? His son. God calls the king his son. You are my son today. I've become your father. That's the way God talks. Do you know what the king's role was? To represent God to the world and to his people. To bring God's rule on earth to be a channel of God's love and promises and protection. The king's relationship is tight with God, father, son. So if God blesses the king, the king will be able to bless the people. If God protects the king, the king will be able to protect the people. Follow the logic with me. If God forsakes the king, then what hope is there for the people? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is something you don't want to hear God's king say. Verse 15, at the end, he's saying to God, you lay me in the dust of death. That is something you don't want to hear the king say to God. "You're, you're, You're leading me into death. So it gets you asking, has God abandoned his king, his son? Has God deserted the one person who he's established to represent him and bring his love and rule to the world? And you, you can imagine God's people joining in with the question in verse 1 of why? Why would this happen? In fact, you imagine God's people asking, well, has David done something to deserve this? Has he done, does he deserve it? There's a really important concept in the Bible. If God forsakes you, it's because you deserve it. Okay, if God forsakes you, it's because you deserve it. Being deserted by God and especially being led into death throughout the Bible is the punishment that comes on people who have turned against God. Think back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve at the very start. When they turn on God, what happened? What was their punishment? They had to go far away from God's presence, away from God and his, his smile and his love. And they had to go to death. From dust you came to dust you will return, the dust of death. Because they abandoned God, God rightly punished them by forsaking them, turned his face away, drove them from his presence into death. And here, God's son, the king, He says that God is far, far, far from him and he faces death. So we've got to wonder, well, is he he being punished? Is he guilty? So this is painful for David and it's devastating for God's people. So looking at David objectively and what's going on, you'd say this king is not fit for purpose. He can't be God's king if he doesn't have God. Somehow he's brought on himself the just punishment of God for forsaking and death. Do you see the seriousness of the son king of God being left for dead by God and forsaken? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's something you don't want to hear God's king say. But these are words that you want to hear King Jesus say. Like I said, these are words that are spoken once more in the Bible. We don't know exactly what the situation is for David, but we do know exactly what was going on for Jesus when he said these words from Psalm 22. 
So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 17 now and, and read Jesus say these things. Turn to page 999. Matthew 17. When I say 17, I mean 27. Matthew 27 on page 999. So we've had David and his crying out in anguish, seemingly punished by God. Now let's read about Jesus on the cross. And, but notice not just the quote from Psalm 22. There's a, there's a lot of Psalm 22-ness about the whole thing. So I want you to spot things. Matthew 27, and we'll start from verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. This is on the way to to the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, They divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay. So Psalm 22 is written by King David, but here is one, Jesus, who has descended from David, he's in David's family, But as you read Matthew's gospel, he tells us very clearly that Jesus is descended from David, but greater than David. That Jesus is God's ultimate greatest king to rule over his people and bring rescue. And it even says that on the sign above on the cross, doesn't it? Verse 37. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. So here is the one who is God's son. Now, in a deeper way than King David was God's son, because you realize that not only is Jesus the king and so God's son, he is the eternal son of God, now incarnate as a man on earth to be God's king. He's the promised one to save the world. He's the king to come and rescue us and bring us back to God. He's the one who's going to fix all the problems in our world, to bring us to God so we can know him. Jesus is God's final, ultimate king, the hope of the whole world. And so here's something you don't want to hear him say. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because if 
if a forsaken King David looked like a king not fit for purpose, a forsaken King Jesus is surely just the end of all hope. If he was meant to be our rescuer. And we saw how King David and God were, were tight. Well, to say that Jesus, the Son of God, and his Father were tight just doesn't do it justice. See, the God of the Bible is one God, but we discover he's three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the Son became a man, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. Listen to what Jesus said about his own relationship with the Father. This is earlier on in Matthew's Gospel. Look at the intimacy here of his relationship with the Father. All things have been committed to me by my Father, Jesus said. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. There's real language of of intimate knowledge. The Father and the Son, perfect. No one knows each other like the Father and the Son know each other. Total love and and a commitment. The Father trusts the Son to give all things into his hands, to go and be the ruler of the world. Now on the cross, do you see the depths of pain and shock that he would say, God, my Father, has forsaken me. Jesus is experiencing the full Psalm 22 treatment, but just taken up a hundred notches. Did you notice the other Psalm 22 links as well, as we read through some other things? Surrounded by the people mocking him. Um, And particularly when they, do you see where they mocked him in verse 43 for trusting God, just like in Psalm 22, uh, verse 43. He trusts in God, let God rescue him. He said, I am the son of God. It's just like in Psalm 22. Oh, oh, if God delights in him, let God save him. It's exactly the same. He's surrounded by people crying for his blood. Like, like the bulls and the lions and the dogs snarling for his, for his body and his blood. They divided up his clothes, cast lots, no more property. Take it away, just like it said in Psalm 22. The whole city has turned against him, but just like in Psalm 22... God has turned against him. And so as you look at King Jesus on the cross, and as you hear him cry out that his God has forsaken him, what are we to think? That God is punishing him. When God sends people far away from him into death, that's punishment for turning against God. That's that's what the Bible says. And so now we're confronted with one who we thought was God's ultimate king, but now apparently forsaken by God as only a guilty man should deserve. So Jesus, son of God, king, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is something you don't want to hear the God's king say. Because he can't be God's king if he hasn't got God. And if he's somehow a guilty man. Here's what we need to see. That despite appearances, this is something you want to hear King Jesus say. This is something you want to hear him say. Okay, what's going on? Jesus told us himself 
before he died, what was going to happen in his death, what was going on. Like, we, like we've been seeing, he was resolute. He went to the cross. It's a plan, not an accident. So when Jesus cries out, why have you forsaken me? He's not going, oh, what's going on? It, it's a cry of agony, not of confusion in that way. It was all part of the plan. What was the plan? Well, if we just go back one night before this, Jesus tells his disciples, his friends, what's going to happen in his death. He, he gets a cup of wine. And he says to them, this is my blood. This represents his blood. And this is what he says. This is my blood, which is poured out. I've got it on here, actually. It's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, he's talking about his death, what's about to happen on the cross. Poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus tells us his death is for many for us. It looks like he's failed because he's forsaken. But apparently he's not failed. He's being abandoned for a purpose. Who for? For us. He's actually winning something for us, not failing. He's winning for us forgiveness from God for our lives lived against him. That's God's end game in Jesus' death. Our forgiveness so we can know God. And the way God will do this is by laying his king in the dust of death for us. So Jesus isn't failing as our king when he's God forsaken. He's doing exactly what he came to do as God's king. Okay, so why does it look like, a lot like, he's being punished by God like a guilty man as he leaves him for dead? Well, it looks like that way because that is what's happening. He is being punished, but not for his own failure, for many, for our failure. Oh, so was Jesus not really forsaken on the cross? It just kind of looked like it. No, he really, really was. He really was. He really, really was. If you'd been there, imagine being there at the foot of the cross. You would have heard the blood-curdling cry of Jesus as for the first time as a human being, Jesus' divine Father, in some way that we don't fully understand, actively, deliberately forsook his Son incarnate, walks away, as it were, withdrew his loving smile, don't get into a place where you're chopping God up. There's nothing of that happening. But there is a turning away of his love and a pouring out of wrath and punishment and death on Jesus. Here's how someone else put it. It's so hard to get our heads around. They've said this. Jesus is standing where none has stood before or since, enduring at one tiny point in space, and in one tiny moment in time, all that sin deserved. The curse in unmitigated concentration. Jesus looks God forsaken because he is God forsaken. I don't have the mind to fully understand that, let alone the words to describe it. For him to endure in his body and soul the wrath of God. It's something I can never imagine. And my friends, that's the point. 
he experienced this so we'd never have to. You can never imagine it. You'll never have to. The words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, are words you do want to hear from Jesus because that means they're words that we will never have to say. So let's bring this home to us, to you and me in this room this afternoon. King Jesus was abandoned and left for dead by God in our place. Let that sink in. In your place instead of you. My God, my God, you should have forsaken me. It should be me on the cross. It should be us. Because we're actually guilty for our lives where we've abandoned God and lived without him in his world. We deserve to be abandoned by him. The words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, are words you do want to hear Jesus say because that means they're words we will never have to say. We'll never be forsaken by him. Because now we can be forgiven by God. We can be forgiven. Okay, how does that work? How does Jesus dying and being forsaken uh, get us forgiveness? Think about it. Imagine you go shopping. Uh, We go shopping together, in fact. And um, I pay for your food. Get to check out. You know, with contactless these days, it's kind of like you can just dive in and pay for someone. It's nice. Okay, so I pay for your for your stuff, and um, then you go up to the shopkeeper. You didn't see I did this. And you say, "Oh, I, I need to pay for my food." And the shopkeeper says, "No, you don't need to. Phil's already paid for it. He's a nice guy. Okay, um, it's already been paid for. You don't pay for it twice." We talk about Jesus paying for our sin. When Jesus was forsaken. He paid the price for us, for for, for the wrong that we've done. And if we come to God then and say, um, so God, do I still need to pay for what I've done? Do I I still need to be forsaken by you? He'll say, no, it's been paid for. You don't need to. You can be forgiven. So Jesus' cry of abandonment is, it sounds like a disaster. But in reality... The death cry from Jesus' dry mouth and melted heart are the sweetest words that have ever been heard on earth. It's something you want to hear Jesus say. So here's what I want us to do, and just to sit with for a moment. We're going to have some time now for us to think and pray over this. Ask this question. Do you hear Jesus say that he is forsaken for you. Do you hear Jesus cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And believe that he says that instead of you, for you and your forgiveness. See, Jesus' forgiveness only becomes, his forsakenness only becomes for us when we ask God for it. Claim Jesus' abandonment for your forgiveness. We need to say to God, I want Jesus to pay the price for me. Father, I want Jesus to say those words so that I will never have to experience being forsaken by you. Forgive me, God, because of Jesus. He was laid in the dust of death for me. So what we're going to do is, uh, musicians are going to sing a song for us, how deep the Father's love for us, which is 
really reflects on the cross and the forsakenness of Jesus. And this is a time for us to listen and pray and reflect on that question. Do you hear Jesus say this for you? And then we're going to come back together and we're going to look at the last bit of the song. Okay, let's pray.
Okay, we've not got to the end of the story yet, so we're going to get back into Psalm 22, um, because the silence from heaven, is, as Jesus hung there on the cross and cried that out, the silence is deafening, isn't it? You can imagine it as he cried it, just the silence that I was met with. As he cried out, why have you forsaken me? Did anyone hear? Did God even hear David when he cried out? Or when the Lord Jesus cried out? Did it just kind of bounce off the clouds? Let's turn back to Psalm 22, page 554. Because there's a turning point in this psalm. Psalm 22 and verse 22. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. It all changes. In the psalm, the tone completely changes. Yes, King David was forsaken by God, but his cry reached God's ears. Do you see that? End of verse 24. He has listened to the suffering one's cry for help. Why have you forsaken me? Is something God does hear the king say. He heard it. God heard the king's cry. God heard and cared. He could have looked on at the suffering of the king and just written him off. You know, this is the end of your career, son, as as my king. But in verse 24, it says, no, he has not despised or scorned his suffering. That means God hasn't looked on at the suffering of David and decided, right, that's the end of you. That, that, That is pointless suffering. Instead, that face that was hidden from David is now revealed with a loving smile. David, my son, I've heard your cry. This is not the end. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was something God's people didn't want to hear God's king say. But everything changes. Everything changes because it is something that God heard the king say. 
And look at the transformation for David. It changes everything. He goes around, verse 23, just telling everyone about it. Or verse 22, I'll declare your name. In the assembly, I'll praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel. And it doesn't just change his kind of personal fortunes. And this is really key. When God hears the king's cry and, and changes everything for him, it changes everything for the whole world. Look at verse 26. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Because God has delivered God's king, who, who represents God to the world, now everyone can see. God is great. He, he's delivered his king. And you see those final words in the psalm. He has done it. Oh, it's so similar to it is finished. <laughs> he's done it. He's heard the cry of the king, and now the world can see the power of God. And the victory, the victory for the king is the last word, not death. Okay, so that's David. What about Jesus? Well, looking at Jesus on the cross, it's hard to see how he's going to recover from that, frankly. If the father truly treated his son as a full-on rebel, wicked sinner instead of us, if Jesus really was kind of consumed by the full force of the wrath of God, it's hard to see how you recover from that. You know, there's, there's no way he's coming out of that with his reputation unscathed either. Because Jesus, I mean, you, you, read, it, you read it with me, he's stripped of all his dignity. And with that mocking, you know, king of the Jews thing above his sign, uh, above his head. He's, he's stripped of the, the honor of being God's beloved king. He died a sinner's death. He was stripped of the smile of God, stripped of his crown and his honor. And so we should be totally flawed when a few days later we read about Jesus standing alive, speaking to his friends. And this is what he says later on in Matthew. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What, like a king? Like God's king? Wait a minute, Jesus. We thought you were God forsaken. No longer God's king. No longer fit for purpose to be God's king. Now you're alive and you say you've been given universal divine authority? Well, what has happened to, to change things? Psalm 22 is what's happened to Jesus. God has not despised or scorned the suffering of his afflicted one. God has not hidden his face from him. Oh, for a torturous moment, God did hide his face from his son, king. But not forever. When God's precious son cried out, Why have you forsaken me? God listened to his cry for help. He laid him in the dust of death, but then three days later raised him up from death. So how would you answer this question? Why did Jesus rise from the dead? How would you answer that? Well, one part of the answer is God raised Jesus up from the dead so that we wouldn't be left thinking that God's king was forsaken forever by God. 
like a disgraced sportsman reinstated or a disgraced member of our family welcomed back in. Jesus was raised from the dead so that his reputation and honor and status as God's son king could be restored. See, the verdict on Jesus is crystal clear now. You are God's king. He has restored you to be the king forever. Because if you look at Jesus on the cross, you come to one verdict. He's finished with as God's king. But if you look at Jesus raised from the dead, you come to a totally different conclusion. He is God's king after all. And now he can rule God's forgiven people. So what should we do in response to to God raising Jesus from the dead and reinstating him as God's king? Verse 23, praise him, you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. Praise, honor, revere God because he heard the cry of his son. He raised him from the dead. He's king forever. Praise God he raised Jesus from the dead. Honor him. Let me ask you this. Is your Jesus still on the cross? Is your Jesus still on the cross? Jesus dies in your place. But that, that's where it stops for you. Don't treat Jesus as if he's still on the cross. Because a Jesus still on the cross, a Jesus still forsaken by God, attacked, a Jesus still suffering, is useless to us as a king. He can't care for us. He can't protect us. He can't show us how to live. He can't bring God's love and goodness into our lives if he's still the disowned one by God, can he? We don't only need Jesus to die in our place, forsaken instead of us. We also need him to finish the job. We need him to make this world right. We need him to come back one day and fix everything. We need someone today who can stand alongside us and comfort us in our grief. We need someone who can tell us how to live for God and empower us to do it. And to be blunt, a dead Jesus can't do any of those things. A dead king is a useless king. So thank God that he heard Jesus cry and he raised him from the dead as if to say to the world and to Jesus, you are my son. You are my king for the world. Now reign over your people with love and justice. So this should be a comfort to us in our suffering too. Think about it. If God heard our king when he cried out, why? If he answered him with resurrection, we can be sure that God hears our cries of why God with the same answer. Resurrection hope. See, we sometimes in life will feel forsaken by God when we suffer. We'll feel like he's abandoned us. But if we're Christians, we know that whatever suffering we're experiencing, we are not being forsaken by God. Because that happened to Jesus on the cross instead of us. So whatever's going on, God hasn't walked away from you. That's a good thing to take through life, isn't it? Our hope in life and death is this. For one agonizing moment, the king was left for dead so that we can be held near to God. And that cry from the bloodstained lips of Jesus 
reached God's ears and he raised him up from the dead. And today, forever, he is our king. So let's praise him and honor him and revere him. Let's pray. Lord God, it is, it is incredible that you should do this for us. Lord Jesus, that you should come to this earth, not only become a human, but even be mocked and hated and rejected by your own people. And not even that, but to go through being forsaken by your Father for us. We don't even get it. But we know it's true that you were forsaken instead of us. You are the sinless one, the divine son, king. Forsaken for us. And so we claim that now, Lord. I pray for each one of us to say, to be able to say by faith, Jesus, you are forsaken for me so that I can be held near to God. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive. Heavenly Father, thank you that you raised Jesus from the dead. And so we want to give you all honor and glory and praise. Lord Jesus, you are not to be mocked and spat at, though in our world you are. We say, no, you are the one who's been raised in victory. Your honor has been restored. You are our risen king. Lord God, you have done it. We praise you for your grace. Amen.